Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna in a nondescript suite atop <laughs> Cardinal Stadium, no longer Papa John's Stadium. I think it was Papa John's Suite, right? They probably oh. took his name off this and yeah, let was, us use it. There was no Papa John's Pizza here at all. Following Notre Dame's 35-17 win over Louisville, um, it, was, it was a strange game. Uh, it was strange how it started. It was strange how it unfolded. It was a little bit weird after the fact as well. Matt... Um, I know this epi- this podcast is called The Shamrock. However, you had a really interesting access point into Louisville uh, on Saturday and, you know, coming into the game as well. Like, what what was sort of the vibe around Louisville? Because I, I think the sense I got walking around that Louisville was surprised by Louisville in addition to Notre Dame also being surprised by Louisville. Yeah, it's been a long time since uh, the players and the fans and, and the community of, of Louisville have had a reason to really cheer. And I think... For this program to take a preseason top 10 team, I'm not going to call Notre Dame a top, actual top 10 team after what I just saw on the field tonight. Uh, but for, for Louisville to take that game really into the fourth quarter um, and show the kind of fight they did, and, and you know, they, I guess they covered the spread, but they, they played admirably. Um, I, I just think it shows a great... Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but, you know, there's a lot to be encouraged by. I mean, Scott Satterfield had said after the game, you know, I don't believe in moral victories, but I'm damn proud of these guys. Um, we've talked every day for eight months about family, about culture change, about this, about that. And you never really know what's real about that until you get punched in the mouth and until the lights come on and until you're ultimately judged on one of your 12, 12 game days. And, uh, you know, for Louisville to not only absorb that first drive against Notre Dame, but play them almost to a draw until the very end of the first half and, and hang in there um it's night and day and just just the vibes around the program are, are just so dramatically different right now it, it's it's as you can imagine anytime you replace bobby petrino <laughs> yeah i mean there was a competency about louisville that i was not expecting i mean i, I thought notre dame was going to blow the doors off them uh i thought that louisville would have some success on the ground particularly with notre dame's new linebackers drew white uh jeremiah usu Kormoa. Esmar Bilal in his third position, basically, in the last nine months. Uh, and then you still had Jordan Jenmar Keith, Jack Lamb, Shane Simon rotating through. Uh, but I didn't think they would have as much success as they did in a really condensed amount of time. I mean, this it, it, was, it was a game at halftime. And I thought by the time the second quarter wound down, um, Notre Dame wasn't going to need a touchdown right at the end after three consecutive fumbles to sort of get control. Uh, at, at that point, I, Notre Dame should get some credit defensively because after those two touchdown mm-hmm. drives, their next nine possessions, 33 plays, 98 yards. Uh, but in some ways I felt like I was watching Notre Dame against an option team, which in some ways we were, it was just a different kind of option where it takes some time to get uh, a handle on what was happening. But uh, I give Louisville a lot of credit cause they had, they had Notre Dame back on their heels, uh, certainly defensively at the beginning, and then in some ways offensively through the middle stages of the game. I picked 38-10 on our last episode of the Shamrock. Louisville at 14 points after its first two offensive drives. So, yes, I mean, to your point, I was uh, very surprised at just how well and how competent they played. I mean, this is still a very thin roster. Um, I absolutely did not expect Louisville to rush for 249 yards against this Notre Dame defense. I know it's week one, and I know there are a lot of new faces, and I know Georgia's three full weeks away. But that scares the crap out of me right now if I'm Notre Dame. And, yeah. and I guess you have a couple basically buys between a buy next week in New Mexico before that. But they got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I mean, just put this in perspective. Last year's worst rush defense performances, Clemson 211, Wake Forest 259, which was all like 
mostly garbage stuff mm-hmm. at the end with Newman, their their new quarterback, and then Navy two ninety two, obviously with the triple option. I didn't. I mean, they had a freshman running back. Um, you know, Atwell was a really exciting player. You know, Jawan passed running the ball shouldn't have been a surprise at all. Uh, but you know, for Hawkins to go nineteen carries, a buck twenty two, hit a forty four yard run. I, the number of explosive plays I thought really shocked me. Um, Notre Dame's linebackers have a long way to go. I I will say that I thought Owusu Koromo made some plays. Uh, I thought Drew White. Hey, there was a, a, a back-to-back plays where he had, I think, a tackle for loss, and then the next play had a, a pass broken up. So I thought that some of the young linebackers grew into the game as it went on. Um, but it's you know so much of Notre Dame's preseason has been can they beat Georgia. That's not something I think Notre Dame even wants to discuss right now, publicly or privately. Yeah, I mean, it, it just seemed like, from a programmatic standpoint, I mean, I, you know, there, there's no band here. It's a Monday night game. It's We've talked about it. I'm sure internally they've thought it. Like, you suck, in some ways, you have three buys before Georgia. You play a Louisville team that's starting from scratch and has, is bare bones talent-wise, at least so we thought coming into tonight. You have new, a bye next week. You have New Mexico after. You have a preseason. And basically, exactly. And... They played like a team that, you know, thought that way for the, yeah. pretty much most of the first half. Uh, it, it it just seemed very, and, you know, I, I was on the sidelines, so I did not have cellular phone access. So I'm sure everyone took this in stride and was not freaking out. <laughs> but I was freaking out on the sideline. And I'm thinking, shoot, the last time they had a really good season was 2015. And they came out on a Sunday night against a, an overmatched Texas team. And it was like, oh, we all have job security. Up, oh, everything's good here. Nothing to worry about. And we got it taken to us. I mean, Ryan Van Gorder collected a lot of money from both of these schools. And I think he would be proud of some of the defense we saw in the first quarter from both sides. Yeah, I, I think that the line, the linebackers growing into the game or needing to grow into the game was not a surprise. To me, if I'm Notre Dame, the bigger surprise was the quarterback play. Because I had written because I believe this to be a legitimate story that Ian Book was taking a big step forward that he was not going to be in the same sentence as Trevor to uh, Jake. However, maybe he would be in the sentence after that sentence. And he was a long, long way from that, the way he played tonight. 14 to 23, a buck 93, one touchdown, zero picks, lost a fumble, uh, had some had some gutsy runs in there, but it felt it felt like he saw 13 or 14 defenders on the field, or he was just pressing too much to make a play the way he was spinning out of non-pressures a lot of times tonight. It, that was strange because I think for Notre Dame to either overachieve or achieve whatever your, your goals are, basically 10 wins or more in the regular season, you had books improvement baked into that. And tonight you're like, wait, was I too presumptuous about Ian books improvement over the off season? Because it, it just didn't look like the calm, collected quarterback that I think we watched a lot of last season. He just he just didn't really have that tonight. Thank God for his legs. And I know yeah. you wrote and a lot of people have talked about how much he worked on speed. That was the lone highlight, I think, when you look at his body of work for the night. And they went 5-12 of 12 on third downs. I guess three or four of those were, were conversions with his legs. Um, you know, that, that saved them a lot. And... It just looked different. They didn't take any shots really downfield. They had the 24-yard touchdown pass that was a gimme right right down the middle uh, in the second half that really broke the game open. But, I mean, if you told me coming into this game that Louisville was going to cough up three fumbles and go away, knowing what I thought I knew about both teams, I'm thinking this is a 28-35 point difference. And 
again, this was a game till late in the third quarter. Yeah, I mean, with Book, it the deep shots are a thing because he didn't show that they're they're not a thing tonight. Um, I think that will happen for him. But to me, it's more like the fourth down pass to Fink, where Fink really has to work for it, and they come up two yards short. Or the third down conversion to Keys, where Keys has to jump for it um, behind his body. That's just not something he did last year. I mean, those balls were on point. And I, you know, with Keys, okay, as a young receiver, did he miss his mark? Maybe. I I really doubt that Fink is in the wrong spot on that that route. Um, And so that, that part of Book's game tonight, I thought was, is it, a huge alarm bell that he's not going to turn around? No. I think that he will get better, and I think Brian Kelly is right that that's not his biggest concern right now. Um, however, I also think Brian Kelly is right that, hey, he needs to play a lot better, and that's okay if you're going to hold yourself to the standard of top 10 quarterback in the country, which I think that Book has that ability. To, nights like tonight are, are going to make you non-competitive at Georgia. Nights like tonight are probably not going to be good enough against Virginia, Stanford, certainly not Michigan, maybe. Maybe USC, I guess we'll see, but there's just he's got he's got a ways to go. And I didn't think that he had this ways to go, I guess is the way that I would sum that up. Yeah, I guess that's the alarming part in the sense of yes, you thought there was one sure thing about this program going into the twenty nineteen season, it was a returning starting quarterback who brought you to the playoff last year. Uh and that certainly I don't know if I'd say cause for concern, but that's alarming when you watch this game unfold tonight. Uh, one thing that stood out to me and talking to some people on both sides after Louisville looked like a faster team than Notre Dame, yeah, uh, especially on the perimeter. And I, I don't know if that affects Ian Book in terms of he doesn't have the weapons he had last year, like a Miles Boykin and, and some other guys he's able to get the ball to. Uh, um, but talent for talent, if you didn't know anything about both these teams and just watched this game in a nutshell tonight, um, you'd be surprised to learn about kind of the recruiting rankings behind both programs, the stability of the coaching staffs behind both pro- programs, and everything that kind of – built up or led up to this night because uh, I was surprised at just kind of how plain and stale Notre Dame looked for the most part offensively. Look, maybe some of that's by design, um, but, but that was a part that definitely stuck out to me. Yeah, I, th- I thought somebody like Atwell impressed me. Like, that guy that guy could play for he's Notre got, Dame, no problem. He, I mean, he's the best player in Louisville, and they're, yeah. they're pretty open about that. Yeah. I mean, he's a really good player, and he could play anywhere in the country. But it wasn't just him. I just no. did, I did not see enough explosiveness from Notre Dame at, at all tonight to really be encouraged moving forward. Now, obviously, it's one game and we're overreacting, but but um, that was my takeaway. I thought that positives for Notre Dame. I thought the offensive line played well, pretty much. Um, they had some spots where they could not run the ball in short yardage, but especially early in the game, you know, when they, when they were a little bit more balanced and settled in, I thought that they played well. Uh, I thought Kyle Hamilton. He missed. I think one of his first tackle opportunities and then you saw the so you saw the makeup speed and coverage that we've seen in practices and is this is a guy where football looks very easy to him once he settles in um you know Alohi Gilman I know Tommy Tremble got the game ball from Brian Kelly in the locker room and you know he for his first game I thought he played really well I mean a, a sort of like what Notre Dame wanted Alize Mack to be but didn't really get uh but I mean I thought Alohi Gilman having for me that's that's what Notre Dame needed. That was a captain's performance. I think 10 tackles led the team, forced fumble, uh, fumble recovery. He was sort of a steadying force when the defense really needed it because that's sort of when the game started to turn. As soon as Louisville couldn't move the ball with any real efficiency um, post-Gilman fumble recovery, that I think that's sort of when, even though it might have looked good, 
that's when at least Notre Dame had a grip on the game. It's hard when you're on the sideline in the middle of it to, to see everything. I mean, that's why most of these coordinators yep. call games from, from <laughs> up in the box. Uh, that's why most writers, of course, are, are up in the press box. But uh, it was easy to see that Elohi Gilman played a really good game. And it was encouraging for me, and I, I, I line if I say in the immediate aftermath, I could speak to the entirety of his performance. It was very encouraging to me to see Sean Crawford on the field, oh, making absolutely. tackles, making some big plays. You talk about an easy guy to root for. I mean, this guy was mm-hmm. slated as a starter, as a true freshman day one in 2016, and has basically had the last three seasons wiped out, two to three different injuries. And to see him back out there, providing that leadership, uh, and just getting back out on the field. I know it's only one game, but that had to feel good for him. And that had to make Notre Dame's coaching staff feel a little more confident and comfortable going forward. Uh, I think you get some good reps out of him. Yeah, and even though it wasn't like a pass breakup, you know, on the trick play, he was the guy that drilled mm-hmm. um, the potential receiver. The ball was over his head. But uh, that was a big performance. I thought that, it was, you know, the theme of the night, you know, as much as we've talked about Book and, and not being the sharp performance that, that I expected at least, the younger players who had never played tremble, Jameer Smith, two rushing touchdowns, Tremble receiving touchdown. Um, you know, beyond that, you've got Jeremiah Usu Kormoa, nine tackles, Drew White, five tackles, some disruptive plays were part of that. Um, you know, Ade Ogundeje has not played a lot of football, had a sack in the Cotton Bowl, uh, had a strip tonight. I thought that they got play from their depth. And I mean, I don't know if we talked about this in our podcast or not, but the biggest difference between Notre Dame and Louisville is probably like the second team guys. Right. Um, you know, whereas those, those were some of the guys that Notre Dame could roll through there that they were confident could make plays. Um, and that's that has to be encouraging. It was, it was very interesting to hear Brian Kelly after the game when I asked him about sort of the, the younger players and if Notre Dame is going to go above and beyond this season, if those are going to be the guys that have to sort of fill in the gaps. And he's like, yeah, but I would prefer to talk more about the veteran <laughs> players doing more than what they did. Like the younger players, he was really encouraged by. I think the veteran players, I think it's going to be more of like, hey, snap out of it on Tuesday, um, you know, whenever they get back to work Wednesday, Thursday, because mm-hmm. they have a bye coming up. That's But the younger players, I think in, there's, there's a lot of sort of X-factor younger players on the team. Um, a bunch of them flashed tonight. Hamilton's obviously in that group, and that's – if Notre Dame is going to – get its season to be more on track of, from an efficiency perspective, um, that's good. But, yeah, those the veterans really need to take uh, a big step forward. And that's alarming. And I am kind of surprising. Surpri- surprising, surprising to hear Brian Kelly say that so publicly and blatantly, too, because I, that's just that's not a good sign. We spent the whole last podcast talking about the leadership yeah. and the makeup of this team. And I'm not saying they're poor leaders, but it's opening night. Your yeah. last performance on a football field was – I don't want to say an embarrassment, but you got run off. Clemson mm-hmm. beat the hell out of you, and that's the last impression that the national audience has of Notre Dame football. And uh, I'm sure they've been working hard behind the scenes and been chomping at the bit to get to this game, but uh, you expected more out of a lot of those guys. I, I do think Chase Claypool had a pretty good game. Yeah, he was good. And they were coming after him hard, and he, you know, it was a slippery football out there tonight, as, <laughs> as we anyone who watched the game can see. They were coming after Chase pretty hard, and he hung on for dear life every time. Um, but, yeah, I just – if there's a big takeaway from this game, aside from the fact that uh, the rushing defense has to work miracles between now and Georgia, um, it, it's that you did not get a whole lot out of Ian Book and from the rest of those upperclassmen who were supposed to be help you sleep easy. Right. I mean, one interesting sort of development early, Jafar Armstrong exits. A source told me it was a groin injury. Brian Kelly was like, we're not sure if it's a groin. We're not sure how serious it is. But without question, 
that was going to be Notre Dame's go-to personnel group. It was going to be Jones and Armstrong with Brock Wright, Claypool, and Fink. And I think when they had to adjust to Jameer Smith taking all of Armstrong's reps, you know, you're down Armstrong, you're down Mike Young, you're down Cole Komet. Um, you know, maybe some of the inefficiencies, while I'm surprised that Book didn't play better, um, that's not going to lead to a peak efficiency offensive performance. Obviously, they didn't get that tonight. Um, that that part of the game plan, I, I guess I would give Notre Dame only a, a very slight pass on if you've been preparing for the last three weeks to play one way and then you can't play that way within two minutes, um, maybe you're not going to be clicking. But it uh, if they're if they're out if they're without Armstrong for a week, two, I mean he's had some injury problems in the past. That's that's a real concern because it's not like you're going to get maybe you'll get Cole Komet back for New Mexico, but you're not going to get the best of Cole Komet. Right. Um, I think you're going to be asking for more from Keys Tremble than they showed tonight, and they they showed some good things in their first their first shot. They did, and I understand the 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 line of thinking in terms of like you don't want to give them a pass, but like this wasn't ideal. But this is a team they should have handled easier. I mean, there's just again, I hate to sound so harsh when you win a game by 18 points. Um, but we talked a lot uh, on the two episodes before this about like what could we actually learn from this game, and I remember saying probably not a whole lot because physically and depth-wise, Notre Dame is just so much uh, better and more more overwhelming and deeper and whatever you want to say, and uh, that just did not bear out. I mean, the line of scrimmage that did not look like the way it should have looked like based on what we thought we knew about both these programs coming in tonight. I think a lot of that credit goes to Dwayne Ledford, the offensive line coach from Louisville, who, who uh, did a great job at NC State last season. Uh, and not to make this all about Louisville on this podcast, but I think they found a lot of good things to build off uh, going forward off this night. Um, I just don't know what the big takeaway is for Notre Dame other than like we, our, our, the guys we thought were really good need, need to play a lot better. Yeah, I guess if you're Notre Dame, you hope Louisville is more like a six and six, seven mm-hmm. and five team. Because I think on a previous podcast, you felt like maybe it's a four and eight kind uh, of team. That, that would be optimistic. Yeah. yeah, but after after tonight, I think Louisville has to feel good about where it's going. Um, Notre Dame has to sort of get back to work. I mean, the the quote from Aloe Gilman is like, "We're an unfinished product," and I, and that's fine. Um, that happens in openers a lot. I think that we expected just a little bit more polish uh, from from Notre Dame in an opener based on. The veterans that they have around, especially at quarterback, uh, that didn't show tonight. Uh, I think if you look nationally, there are, you know, it, Michigan probably was like fits and starts in their opener against Middle Tennessee State. Um, you know, but the the gap between sort of the Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, uh, Alabama, and then Notre Dame's in that next group with Michigan, Washington, um, you know, Texas, Oregon, we'll, see, we'll see, Oregon. I think that that stands, right? I mean, we sort we sort of view Notre Dame as like they're in the running for the best of five through ten. Um, you know, based on how they played tonight, they're gonna they're they're considerably off the pace with Georgia. Are they that different than Stanford or USC or Michigan? Probably not. Mm-hmm. I mean, those programs have their own stuff to work on. Um, you know, Virginia Tech, Virginia are in a similar boat. But um, you know, it, I guess if the if you were wondering how close is Notre Dame to the top four tonight made it feel like they're not that close. I would agree. Um, and I'm curious to hear you tease your story for tonight. If it <laughs> has anything to do with where they fit in the grand scheme of things, or if it's more X's and O's, but what are you, 
for the print product, what is your uh, yeah. takeaway from tonight? I mean, I, I spent a lot of time watching Drew White before the game because I knew his impact was going to be significant one way or the other. I think overall he would look at his game and say that was a positive. It wasn't perfect. Um, I think for the young guys, the story there is they contributed. Were they flawless? No, that's fine. You cannot expect a guy who's never played to be like on point from the get-go. Uh, but I, I thought you saw enough flashes from those young guys. I spent some time with Adeo and Deje about his weight to play. Um, you know, talked to Kyle Hamilton's dad a little bit after the game about just what that was like. Uh, spent some time with Drew White and just sort of the nerves and coming back from the skiing injury with a shoulder. Um, I even, you know, talked to Drew Tranquil a little bit and before the game about just sort of Drew White as a person. So that, that was sort of the big story for me, I knew I was going to write, be writing about these younger guys. I just didn't think I was also going to be writing about Ian Book. Right. Um, I thought that Ian Book was sort of like, oh, Ian Book was, uh, okay, 20 of 26 for 310 yards and three touchdowns. Like, that was sort of the night that I was expecting there. So I, I think it, it went from a story that was going to be solely about the young guys, because openers, that's that's what I'm watching, to, oh, wait, what if, what if what's the next step for Ian Book that, I, that we all sort of thought he was already going to have taken. So that's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know, kind of a strange dynamic for Notre Dame after, after week one. And we're not going to really get any clarity until the Georgia game, just based on the way the schedule sets up. I mean, we're not going to learn, I think a whole lot from that New Mexico game. Uh, I just, well, I mean, I just, we, we say that, but I think we would have said the same thing going into ball state last year and we learned a ton. So it's, well, uh, you know, yes, but there was quarterback, <laughs> like there was a capable number two quarterback last year who obviously is, Taking him to the playoff now right. and is the starter this year. I mean, Phil Yurkovich could have a great future, but I don't think anyone thinks no, he books in danger saying, of losing his job. You always learn a lot, regardless of it's Louisville, Georgia, or New Mexico. Because last year I learned a ton about Notre Dame from Michigan, but then I learned some things I wasn't expecting to learn against Ball State and Vanderbilt, and then I continued learning the rest of the season, particularly the Wake, Wake Forest when Book yeah. took when Book took over. So, you know, maybe it's at New Mexico and they give up. 32 yards rushing on 42 carries like who knows but they've got they've got some big steps to take forward um i guess before we got out of here i felt like gilman was probably my my game ball player do you have a a difference of opinion on that or was anybody from the Notre Dame side that particularly stood out to you i'm going with elizabeth scott for those of you unfamiliar with that name that is uh the louisville ladybird who took one right on the noggin from Ian Book. And I was that, on the, That was his first and only deep shot, I think. <laughs> I was on the other, completely other side, yeah. so I couldn't see it, but I heard people go, oh, and I figured someone got hit. And about five minutes later, a cheerleader, dancer, or whatever there, walks right by me, sobbing, and I'm not sure what's going on. And then I see blood pouring out oh of her God. nose. And I, wait, oh, is that what yeah. happened? And she's going straight to like the ambulance on the left. And 30 seconds after the game, she's tweeting and retweeting everyone, retweeting the video, saying, I'm fine, and Ian Book owes me one, and you know, I'll be have my head on a swivel next time. Uh, that is a game one, game ready. I've been pre- preparing all offseason performance <laughs> to take the, the shot she did on the, on the face to clean up all the blood and to get back to tweeting uh, right after the game. I mean, it's uh, impressive. That's, it's, you're very on brand with the athletic with that observation, by the way. <laughs> like, I feel like our publication is going to know who that person is in their entire life story. So I went, I was, I was kind of like trying to keep an eye out of the Louisville cheer team in the final five minutes. I'm like, none of these girls look like I hit in the face with a football. Oh, no, you would have known her <laughs> if you saw her. 
Uh, All right. So props to Alohi Gilman, also Elizabeth Scott. Um, probably neither of them listening to the Shamrock here on uh, on Tuesday, whenever you, you get around to listen to this. But that is our, our first episode for the week. I believe we'll be back later with a bonus episode later uh, in the week for athletic subscribers. You, and again, uh, you can listen to the Shamrock by going to theathletic.com backslash the Shamrock. Uh, please subscribe, rate, leave comments. Uh, you can tweet at Matt or I, send emails if you really want to go old school about feedback. That's totally fine. Uh, and w- moving forward, while this week is a little bit off, we'll, we'll do Thursday or Friday, I'm not sure. But after that, then we'll sort of get it in a normal flow. The, the Monday night game, I think, was uh, a little out of source, maybe not just for the Notre Dame football team, but for the... Uh, for the Shamrock. Yeah, for the Shamrock as well. Is I don't think we'll be recording too often at 1.25 a.m. in an empty press box. And if I can add to that, uh, Pete and I were thrilled to hear all the mostly positive feedback, except for that one negative Apple review after our, our debut week. We were able to reach the top 10 on Apple's Buzz for sports podcasts on uh, the day of our launch. And we were, while we were very appreciative of that, Michigan's podcast on The Athletic was number 15, and they had yet to record an episode. So Notre Dame fans, I'm issuing a personal challenge to you to not let Michigan fans outdo you here, okay? (laughs) We take it personal, you take it personal. I know the two schools take it personal with the win percentage and the all-time wins. We're going to make it a beef on the podcast. All right, that's it for this edition of The Shamrock again. Go to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Pete Sampson underscore. Matt is at, at Matt underscore Fortuna. And, of course, The Athletic's college football account. That's at The Athletic CFB. We will be back later in the week with our bonus edition of The Shamrock. Hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll get a guest on the bye week because um, I think we need some uh, <laughs> need some material to fill up and get some additional perspective on what Notre Dame is, what Notre Dame might not be, uh, and where this season might be going. So until our ne- next episode, you've been listening to another edition of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna. Thanks for listening.